Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Three Things Podcast. I'm super excited to have had the pleasure of interviewing Tony Bonvecchio, co-owner and co-founder of The Strength House in Worcester, Massachusetts. Tony's one of the first strength coaches I first started following when I got into the industry and it was really awesome to sit down and have a conversation with him for about 30 minutes about all things strength. So I'm Tony Bonvecchio, one of the co-owners and strength coaches at The Strength House in Worcester, Massachusetts, uh, alongside my co-founder, Greg Robbins and Nancy Newell. Uh, We train a lot of powerlifters, people who like to lift heavy, but not necessarily powerlift, and a lot of high school and college athletes. So we kind of just want to, we cater towards coaching anyone who wants to work hard, who wants to get better, but definitely... Uh, a powerlifting flavor to all of it. We definitely put a lot of stock in the, the squat, the bench press, and the deadlift. Um, so I got into strength and conditioning, uh, or I started lifting, let's say, as a freshman in college for baseball. I went to Southern New Hampshire University. Uh, grew up in Vermont, so it's great to talk to another Vermonter right now. That's uh, what's up. And you know, got into lifting to to get better at baseball, but uh, really enjoyed like the the autonomy of it, I guess. Like I could work as hard as I wanted to in the weight room and like still see the results of it. Whereas I wasn't a very good baseball player. So like no matter how hard I worked in practice, there always seemed to be somebody better than me. Um, so I wasn't like getting more playing time or anything like that. So just, uh, being able to, to get out exactly what I put in was really rewarding in the weight room. Um, so fast forward, like a, a bunch of years, um, Graduated from St. Michael's College in Vermont with a journalism degree, but knew I wanted to be a strength coach. So ended up going to grad school at Adelphi University on Long Island, got a master's degree in exercise science. Um, Couldn't get a coaching job after that because I had no practical experience. So after working a a desk job for a year, got the internship at Cressy Sports Performance, worked full time there for just short of three years before Greg and I uh, left to open the strength house and here we are. Nice. Nice. That was really, that's a really nice jam packed little explanation, man. Uh, I, you know, journalism school, the brevity is very, very important. You got to say what you got to say or <laughs> uh, the reader stops caring. So hopefully the listening, <laughs> you know, if people are listening to this podcast that this will be probably episode 27. If they've made it through the first 26 episodes, they haven't gotten tired of my voice yet. Uh, but I think people really just come because they'll see your name on it. Um, so. Where'd you grow up in Vermont? What town? So I grew up in Newport, Vermont, up in the Northeast Kingdom. Ah. So if you're in like the Burlington area. So my wife grew up in, in Essex, very close to where okay. you are right now. Yeah. And um, so you head about 90 miles like Northeast of there, I guess. You, you get on Route 15 and then out to Route 100 and drive into the woods a long ways. And that's where I grew up. Nice. Nice. Um, 
well, yeah, we're now, uh, I work over at St. Mike's now, so it's small world. So yeah, to small see world. you, the stuff that you've been doing over there is really, really cool. That, it's, that whole, like, the, the varsity weight room and, like, getting uh, somebody from the outside, somebody who's, you know, not one of the sport coaches, somebody who is a dedicated strength and conditioning coach, that's huge because they've needed that for a long, long time. Yeah, that program has come a long way, and it's fun to watch that, that whole uh, college just still growing, which is amazing. Yep. Um, so let's start with this, the three things. I've got my first thing up. I'm going to cut right to the chase because you're a strength guy. Um, what are one to two things, and if, I don't know if you have like a big one, two things, whatever, that people like general population people kind of miss the boat on when they're trying to improve strength? Um, probably the thing that they miss the boat on the most is um, thinking that they need a ton of variety. That's something that, you know, I, as a, as a power lifter, have been competing for, you know, eight plus years now. Um, I never get bored of doing the big three, like just squat, bench, deadlift, 52 weeks a year, not feeling like I ever have to like stray from the competition list very much. Um, whereas I feel like the general population has probably a little bit shorter attention span. Um, and while it doesn't necessarily need to be the competition lift, or it doesn't have to be a barbell back squat or a barbell bench press, um, but people stray from like the big lifts that work the best uh, just out of sheer like boredom or wanting some sort of novelty. So, you know, they, they forget to treat strength like the skill and to just put in the time and do, you know, at least um, the same movement pattern over and over and over until they master it. Yeah. Will you guys take that same ideology when you're working with your um, athletes as well, your young athletes? Um, athletes, of course, are going to need just a little bit more variety, uh, just to stay away from overuse injuries. And of course, because they're not training to be lifters or trained to be athletes. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're sticking with the same like main movements, uh, pretty frequently. So something we've learned from like training our, our general population, um, or we'll, let's just say like our strength clients versus our sports performance clients, we train them alongside each other, not on the same program, of course, but they're out in the gym at the same time. Um, and just seeing how like they can kind of feed off of each other and how we, you know, we were definitely biased towards like the straight bar squat bench and deadlift uh, for our strength clients, but we started incorporating a lot more of the, the ideologies that we'd use with our sports performance athletes and making sure we started people on a safety bar box squat instead of a barbell back squat and making them kind of earn the right to, to do a regular back squat or making people start on the trap bar deadlift before they move on to like a sumo deadlift or a conventional deadlift. So we were like, well, we know that these powerlifting style competition lifts are very tough to learn, even as basic as they may look. Uh, so we're not going to use them all the time with our athletes, but we've taken that same approach with our strength clients who don't want to compete in powerlifting. So, and we've learned that they're just as happy, like setting a big PR on a trap bar deadlift versus a conventional deadlift. Whereas power lifters may look at it and say, well, I know it's not the same, but yeah, to the, yeah. to the non power lifter strength enthusiast, a PR is a PR as long as it's a deadlift. <laughs> so true yep. what's something that uh, maybe a more advanced lifter maybe like a guy like you who has an elite total like what's something you need to pay more attention to whether it be to keep improving or just even maybe in the world of recovery or just something that as you become more of an advanced lifter that really needs to be on your radar um when i think of that i think of something that dave tate 
always says and that like if you have a weakness in a lift it's either technical so your technique's not up to snuff um it's muscular like the target muscle groups are not strong enough or it's mental so there's some sort of inhibition going on between your ears where you just can't like wrap your head around like fixing that weakness so like figuring out which one of those applies to you on each lift so you know i think every lifter has like a mix of all three but the more advanced you get typically the more uh your technique is very good you know, because you've been practicing over and over and over. So then it becomes more about like building bigger muscles. So literally just bodybuilding. And that's something that I think is powerlifting has gotten more accessible to the masses. I was talking to somebody about this the other day that you see a lot more like um, under muscled people getting into powerlifting, which is like a great thing. The more the merrier. But I feel like a lot of us who got into powerlifting were either like lifting for sports performance or lifting just to like get jacked before we discovered powerlifting. So you had kind of like that base of muscle and kind of that, that training um, foundation, if you will. So the more advanced somebody gets, the more I think they need to keep trying to put on muscle and like that focus on hypertrophy with their accessory work. Cause like a bigger person is going to lift bigger weights period. Yeah. That's interesting. I thought you might go a different route with that um, and kind of take more of like, maybe it's like training frequency or like maybe rotating in, I don't want to say variety, but like maybe using like a safety squat bar away from a competition and transitioning back to a straight bar or a competition lift as you get closer to a competition. But I, it's, it's interesting, like stronger people, I guess, big, like you said, bigger people will move more weight. So focusing on hypertrophy and that element will go a long way in performance. Yeah. I, th- I also think that, um, like that approach of like variety and, and rotating in, you know, accessory exercises with like a specialty bar or just like adding different variations of the squat bench and deadlift. We do that for pretty much everyone. Um, that obviously will change. Like a beginner is going to need more of just like the competition lift over and over to get better at it. And the closer you get to a meet, whether you're a novice, intermediate or advanced, you got to do more of the competition lift. Uh, a lot of it comes down to finding which, like variation of the squat bench and deadlift seems to carry over to your competition lift the best. And that's where I think like the, the advanced trainee is going to spend a lot more time doing those variations uh, also to avoid overuse and just to like target those weak points more directly. So like if, if a novice is having a hard time, like keeping their knees out while squatting, you should probably still just keep squatting, but like coach the hell out of it. Whereas if somebody who's like more advanced suddenly runs into an issue with their knees caving, it could be due to some sort of injury that you don't know about. It could be to like, they've developed some sort of muscular imbalance where one muscle group is stronger than the other. And there, you know, you, you hammer in some sort of accessory exercise. And the more I talk it out, like, again, the more it goes back to like, we use that approach with just about everyone. I think kind of our, our brand of, of programming, at the strength house for our strength-based athletes is you're almost always going to do on squat day, at least two types of squats on bench day, at least two types of, of barbell bench on deadlift day, at least two types of deadlifts where you're hitting, you know, one to maybe five top sets at that competition lift. But then the secondary exercise is a very, very close relative of that competition lift with some sort of variation thrown in to, to, target a weak point or to improve your technique somehow, whether it's adding a pause or whether it's adding 
chains or changing the tempo, something really, really, really close to the competition lift, but to put some sort of emphasis uh, during, like to target that lifter's weak point. Yeah, yeah. Just was talking to um, another coach earlier this week about, uh, or this past weekend, about just the role of isometrics and how easy it is to just take the same lift at a pause at a various point. And like, there's, I don't think there's anything better to teach positioning than the role of isometrics and pauses when you're actually performing a lift. It's, it's so huge. Yeah. Pause, like pause work is hands down the most common variation that we use. Um, and of course, like, uh, a bench press, you know, the paused bench press is our competition lift. Um, so sometimes we'll purposely like not pause if we're trying to do a little bit more tempo work or something a little bit more like high rep, uh, hypertrophy intended, uh, but like with a squat, you know, we're pausing all over the place. We're squatting all the way in the hole. We're pausing uh, just above parallel on the way up, pausing just above parallel on the way down, you know, um, finding different weak points. Most raw lifters, their, their squat weak point is going to be like just above parallel on the way up. That's where most raw lifters fail. Um, so we do pause a lot in that position, but sometimes we'll come down, we'll pause to pins at various um, at various points to make it a little harder to overcome that, that stoppage in the lift. Um, yeah. Pauses are great. And that's always my first go-to uh, for teaching proper technique and to fix any sort of sticking point throughout the lift. Yeah. What advice would you give someone who's looking to get into the sport of powerlifting? Um, find a community with like-minded people. Because if you try to powerlift at just your average gym, you're probably going to be one or, you know, one of a few or just one period. <laughs> you know, there's not going to be necessarily anyone around you um, to, to help, you know, spot or, or help with a technique issue or anything like that. So it doesn't even need to be like a coach. It just, you should be around like-minded people. And that's something we're trying to develop here at the strength house. And I think we've done a pretty good job of it is, you know, getting a bunch of people under one roof who may not have the exact same goals, but can support each other in going towards those goals. Cause more often than not, if you're, if you're the only power lifter in a gym, um, you're going to get more like weird looks and eye rolls than people being like, that's fucking awesome. Like your squat's gotten so much better or like congrats on that personal record today, you know? So getting around like-minded people. That's awesome. That's good advice. Um, and one of the last things I want to touch about, I do have like, and this is the first time I've done it. So I'll, I'll, I'll save it for later, but it's a this or that, which is going to be fun with another Vermonter. Okay. Um, what a, would you say? Where you'll go with that. I'm sure you do. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Um, what, would you say, and you kind of touched on a little bit when you said it was hard to get a job out of college because you didn't have a lot of practical experience, but what are like the top, I said, I'll say top three things uh, or actions that you've done that have helped you grow or evolve as a coach, coach Tony Bonvecchio. What are the three things you've done in the last decade that have helped you be coach Tony Bonvecchio? Uh, number one would be like lift my ass off, <laughs> like, for, you know, uh, to really prioritize my own training. Cause I think you'll find that like there's always that argument. Does a strength coach need to be strong? Um, and then you got to ask yourself like, what is strong strength is all relative. I think a good strength coach has to, to be a, a halfway decent lifter because there's just too much nuance and, and too much context that gets lost. Uh, if you 
are a shitty lifter, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and as, um, you know, there are a lot of people really passionate about fitness and they want to work in fitness, but they're not necessarily like technicians or students of the game per se, or they don't, you know, walk the walk. And, and that is hands down, like the only thing that got me in the door, <laughs> yeah. you know, just like, um, being a halfway decent power lifter once it was finally time to start like making money as a trainer that that's the the way that I learned everything I learned before like I ever got into a classroom and learned about this stuff so uh, and that's why we prioritize staff lifts so much here at the strength house you know like you don't miss sessions here we all train together it's really important it's continuing education like as, as pure as it gets um, something else I would say is like it's not hard to get a personal training job when I graduated from Adelphi and I got a desk job. Um, I was like, just so anxious to like start getting some practical experience because that's what every single rejection letter from every internship and GA position, et cetera, et cetera. That's what it all said. You just don't have the experience. So I figured like, I know enough to personal train somebody. Let me go out and get a personal training job. And luckily somebody who I knew pretty well at Brown where I was working Brown university uh, hooked me up with, uh, somebody who was, you know, a personal training manager at a local gym and I just started personal training there. So get in there at six in the morning, train clients from six to eight, go to my desk job from eight to five, train a couple more clients from, you know, five to 8 PM and just getting that as, as uh, practical knowledge. And that was so, so, so important because that taught me that like I knew a lot of the technical side of things, but I didn't necessarily know how to coach or communicate with like real life people who I had to yeah. So thank God I, I like uh, cut my teeth there before I ever got like a, let's say I got one of those college strength and conditioning internships that I had applied for. I would have gone in there and just looked like a complete fool, which there's nothing wrong with, with that, you know, trial by fire. But when you're personal training, like you're not necessarily answering to like the head strength coach or you're not answering to like the owner of the gym per se, you answer to your clients and if the clients stick around and they keep paying your manager's like, good job. Obviously you're doing something right, but it gives yeah. you the opportunity to like, to experiment, figure out what works, you know, and you're your own boss, so to speak. So, um, if nothing else, I feel like, um, Tony Genocor just put out an article on the site today. I don't know whether he wrote it or whether it was a guest post, but it's like, you're never too good to work at a commercial gym. It's just that, thinking that same thing. Yeah. It's probably the lowest barrier for entry, right? You don't need yep. a fucking master's degree and a CSCS and all these other crazy things. Nobody cares like how many PRI courses you've been to, blah, blah, blah. Um, but you just have this opportunity to learn and make money. And the truth is like, if you're a kick-ass personal trainer, like you have an opportunity to probably make way more money doing that than you do like running your own gym or being a collegiate strength and conditioning coach or, you know, people chase the title like strength and conditioning coach. Um, Cause theoretically you get to do some pretty cool stuff and work with athletes and um, maybe have like a little bit less of a, of a stuffy environment that you might have at a commercial gym. But if you want to make like a really good living and have like, a salary that can support a family and like personal training is a really good way to go. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm in a commercial gym. Um, I work for basically like commercial strength conditioning and, and do some stuff obviously on my own and, and you're spot on, you know, it's funny how the commercial setting can be really tough and then you figure out how to navigate it and you realize that the skills you have learned will parlay into a lot of different things. And, and it's like, like you said, you're never too good to start at a commercial gym. 
Absolutely. And it's just all experience. Like the more yeah. people you can train from all walks of life, like the more you're going to learn. And I think yep. you talk to pretty much any uh, of the kind of like if you made like a Mount Rushmore of, you know, American strength and conditioning coaches, whoever you put up there, probably at one point or another, was like working their ass off training people one-on-one -on -one in a commercial gym. Yep. Yep. For sure. For sure. It's the easiest way to get the most exposure. Yep. So without further ado, we have the first ever this or that on the three things podcast. So shout out to whoever's going to message me and tell me that I went over the three things because it's my <laughs> podcast. No one, no one cares. Um, the rules, man. I know. Right. I just, everyone's you should just change the name. It's misleading, whatever. <laughs> um, okay. So which is better getting a rare treehouse brewing release or setting a PR? Oh God. <laughs> I love it. The side basically just answered the question. But you can pick the lift too. You can pick the lift. Uh, well, so here's how I'm, I'm not going to answer it in like one word. Um, I, I'm going to give you a little bit of background first. So usually the treehouse like releases are, are announced right in the middle of our staff lift. And no <laughs> matter like how rare, no matter how delicious that beer might be, we still have never like dropped everything and run to treehouse during a staff lift. So I guess you'd have to say the PR, but God damn it. Like treehouse is really, really close. That's awesome. The side was basically the answer that I, that was, that was awesome. Yeah. Um, I didn't know if maybe you could pick the lift. Like, you're like, yeah, man, my squat, I've just, I chase that squat. Like if I can get that PR, it's worth the, I don't even, what is it? Juicy is what's, what's like the big treehouse that they do like one a year of. Uh, juice machine. Juice machine. Yeah. yeah. So the only time I've ever been to treehouse twice in a single day was for juice machine. So. <laughs> Hopefully that line is insane. Yeah. yeah, hopefully they're not listening and they don't like ban me for life. You guys should be sponsored. I don't know why they're, they, there's no banners up there or something. I don't know. You know, we've, we've put a lot of money into that business the past couple of years. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anybody ever like bitches and moans that like we don't have like a piece of equipment they want and blah, blah, blah. They can blame Treehouse. We're our back, our, literally our back door is Burlington Beers parking lot. So oh, that's awesome. I get it. Yeah, I they get it. They put out a lot of good stuff. A lot of beer coming from there and, and I mean it's Vermont, so there's a lot of I'll try to if if it wasn't ninety degrees, maybe at some point I can't doubt if you guys do like a big three workshop at the strength house or something, I'll come down with a, a Vermont goodie bag of some of the nano breweries that are opening up up here. Of course but you can pay us. There's some elite, elite breweries coming up. Um, okay, second one. And we're gonna put this in a vacuum because there's probably gonna be like external factors you have to consider, but it's in a vacuum. Okay. You can like follow Metallica for an entire summer, okay, or have an express pass that gets you to the front of any line at any brewery. Oh, uh, that I'm gonna go with Metallica on that one. Metallica okay. was around way before I was of legal drinking age, and way before <laughs> I was drinking beer that didn't suck. So <laughs> they're they're my day one boys. Um, okay, okay. I didn't know. I didn't know. Like, what if? I mean, maybe. What if it's a lifetime pass? One summer uh, with Metallica or a lifetime pass to a brewery? You know what? Like, there, there's something to be said for, like, waiting in line at a brewery. Like, sometimes it sucks, but I think it's part of the experience. Um, and, like, there's no better people watching than, like, at, in line at a craft beer place. Like, some of, the, some of the people you see and some of the shit you hear them say is just absolutely I'm sure. Yeah, um, I'm sure. But, yeah, I'm going with Metallica on that one. Uh, quick, quick story. I went to see right when I moved to New York uh, for grad school. I went to see Metallica by myself, which I've done many times. 
uh, at Yankee Stadium. They're playing like the Big Four tour. So it was Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, and Anthrax, pretty much like the best concert you could ever see. I'm like right on the barrier. And just as Metallica like starts their set, like I'm getting all fired up. They open with Creeping Death, fucking awesome song. And I say out loud to myself, this is the happiest I've ever been. Nice. Like, by myself. So <laughs> I feel like I get that feeling every time I go to a Metallica show, even though it's been, you know, God, probably 15 years since I saw my first Metallica show. And That's awesome. You just get that same feeling every single time. That's awesome. You, I mean, I think I saw a picture. You saw them at Webster Hall. Yes. That, oh, God. That was probably the coolest show I've ever seen. Uh, Webster Hall is not very big. No, and I'd seen shows there before when I was in grad school. Um, and, like, that was a bucket list item, see Metallica in a small venue. Because, obviously, by the time, you know, even before I was born, they were playing, you know, like, stadiums. And they'd never play anything smaller than, like, a, you know, 50,000-seat arena or something like that. So when the chance came to, to see him at a small venue, man, I jumped on it. Me and uh, Sean St. Ange, a fellow Rhode Island trainer, uh, we went together. And he's, he's probably the only guy I know who loves Metallica as much as I do. So that was something special, just being like literally, you know, as far away as I am from my computer right now to, to my childhood heroes. That was pretty fucking cool. That's awesome. And the last beer question, I promise. It it's going to be a two-parter. I mean, your questions as you want. I know it's tough because I mean that's probably the best part about owning your own gym is you could probably you know break the beer code if you want. But I unfortunately I wish I could have a beer for this, but one thirty in the afternoon is just not going to get it done. That's um, not about me. <laughs> what is what is your favorite beer? Favorite beer of all time is a green from Treehouse. Do you uh, feel like a bad Vermonter because you you just basically listed a Massachusetts beer? Like you, you feel know, like a bad Vermonter a little bit? I don't. I don't. Cause I was raised on Hetty Topper. Um, I drink a lot. I, I guess the, the real gateway beer from like Natty light in the St. Michael's townhouses to like real beer was uh, like anything from long trail. Yeah. I felt like a, a high class person when I would roll in with like a six pack of like long trail ale instead of a 30 rack and Natty light. Um, <laughs> You know, like I, I would have listed Hetty Topper as my favorite beer for a long, long time. And they're definitely like pioneers. Um, they're like ACDC. They're one of the best and haven't really changed their approach in a long, long time, which is fine. Uh, but, you know, palates expand and, and people take like something good and, and make it even better. And, you know, I'll, I'll still drink a lot of uh, Hill Farmstead. Yep. Out of Greensboro, Vermont. They're like just a, a very close number two to treehouse in my book but if i have if i have to be on a desert island and take one beer with me it's green uh treehouses rotational ipa they do a very green like a double ipa version of it which i think is the best tasting beer i've ever had um but i think of it as like comparing like your favorite album to like your favorite live album of course like yeah. the yeah. live album is going to be like up above and beyond but you know that it's like just like a, a one-time thing whereas i know like Green will always be there for me, whereas <laughs> I, can only, I can only get it every once in a while, and it means I have to drop everything and stand in a 90-minute line to go get it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Everything in life can be related back to craft beer. I Thank you. I mean, only New England people will understand that saying. Yeah. Everyone in the Midwest just shook their head and was like, I don't get it. Budweiser's <laughs> great. I don't get it. Um, but, yes, that's a New England saying to a T right there. Yeah. Tony Bonvecchio, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you making the time. And if people want to know more about you, where should they go? 
they should go to the strengthhouse.com first because uh, bonvexstrength.com is semi-retired, but they can, uh, <laughs> they can follow me on Instagram at bonvexstrength. That's B-O-N-V-E-C strength, which I don't think I could spell out the letters if I had to. Um, but that, that's me on social. But the majority of, of anything I'm putting out right now is via the Strength House. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Thank you so much for coming on. Hopefully this is not our last conversation. I look forward to doing it again. Yeah. Thanks, Casey.